Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelley Vale Smith. Today, we will be talking to Mrs. Tricia Culpepper, principal of Coleman City Primary School. Mrs. Culpepper has been the principal of Coleman City Primary School and Head Start Director for the past 15 years. Her school is home to 26 kindergarten and first grade classes and five preschool classrooms. Most recently, Coleman City Primary School earned the Louisa Motes National Award for Excellence in Implementing the Science of Reading. Coleman City Primary School also earned the International Reading Association's Exemplary Reading Award for Alabama in 2012. Ms. Culpepper was named a 2020 Top 3 finalist for the National Distinguished Principal Award for Alabama in the Elementary Division, and she was awarded Marbury Award for Technology Innovation in the administrator category in 2013. She serves on the class board as an AAESA director and has published articles for the AAESA and NAESA magazines. She was a first and fourth grade teacher and a reading coach prior to becoming principal of Coleman City Primary School in 2006. She received a bachelor's of science degree in marketing in 1987 from the University of Alabama and earned her master's degree from Auburn University in elementary education as well as an education specialist degree from the University of Alabama. She has additional certification in reading and administration from the University of Alabama in Birmingham. She is also certified as an NAESP mentor and a pre-K through three leader. Welcome, Tricia. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for asking me to be here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Can you start by telling us how you became involved in education and especially literacy? Well, I went to the University of Alabama and graduated in 1987 with a degree in marketing. And I knew that then I had made a mistake and I needed to go into elementary education. However, I was the last of four children and my father politely told me that that would be on my dime. So I got married and it was hanging around in the back of my head, especially because I was a sales rep for a paper company and my largest customer was a school system. And so I kept going into the schools thinking this is where I need to be. So I received my master's, my alternate master's in 1988. And I started out as a fourth grade teacher, actually a first grade teacher at East Elementary and then moved up to fourth grade. Back then, there really, I can remember talking to my supervising teacher saying, how do you teach reading? And we pulled out a book, you know, a basil. And she said, on Monday, you do this. On Tuesday, you do this. And then Wednesday, this is cemented for me. There was a bridge and it was called the bridge to comprehension. And so that's what we did. And I can remember thinking that everybody taught reading a little bit just by how they thought it should be taught. There wasn't anything really formal. So the Alabama Reading Initiative began in the 90s and Coleman Primary School, that's not where I was, but that was part of our system, was part of the Sweet 16 for the Reading Initiative. And my friend who is a regional 
reading specialist right now, Melinda Willingham. She and I were actually responsible for bringing ARI to East and West Elementary. And we were talking about it the other day, and we we were in charge of getting all the speakers, all of the trainings, and that lasted for about a, a two-week time period. And we had everybody at the Civic Center. So we did that in that summer. And then do you remember, Shelly, Catherine Mitchell? Oh, yes. She, oh, my goodness. She was our hero. And we invited her to come. And Catherine Mitchell came to East Elementary and visited with us. That was one of our highlights. So Miss Willingham and I then went on and we got our reading certification at UAB. And we studied with Marianne Manning. And we decided that we wanted to be reading coaches. And so we went and really, I thought my career was finished as a reading coach. I absolutely loved being a reading coach. But something I've been listening to podcasts and been thinking about our interview. And I know everybody talks about how important it is and how crucial it is for children learning to read. But I've always been a lifelong reader. And I think that reading is one of the biggest joys in life. And I talk to my friends. I always, when I talk to my friends, if I have a friend that says, I'm not a reader, I make it my mission to figure out what kind of books they would like. Because I can remember my grandmother saying, if you love to read, you'll never be bored. So it's a dual thing with me. Yes, in order for children to be the most successful that they that they can be, we need to teach them how to read. But we also want to instill the joy of reading as well. Yeah, that lifelong love of reading is something that we don't hear enough about sometimes. And it's easy to focus on some of those other aspects, honestly. Right. And if you develop confident readers, if you develop a confident reader, they'll like to read. And then you've hooked them. And then it just permeates all aspects of their life. I agree. And I grew up in a home with people who love to read and I love to read and both of my children don't. So I haven't figured out where I went wrong with that. But (laughs) you served as a reading coach and an elementary teacher for several years. How did those experiences prepare you for leading a school and especially in the area of literacy? Well, I did. And I was not an assistant principal before I was a principal. So I moved straight from being the reading coach to being a principal. I believe that a principal is always a teacher. I am always a teacher. My scope has just changed from the classroom to the building. And so I've looked back on my career and being a first-year principal. I knew reading instruction. And so I believe you always go where you feel the most confident. And so I jumped right in with reading Because that's what I knew coming from the second through sixth grade background, kind of where we needed to be. And so I knew that I could assist these teachers with that because you hear the term, Shelly, all the time, instructional leader. And I think sometimes it's kind of overused and you say it, but knowing what that means, you don't know everything there is to know about reading, but you need to have a firm handle on what that reading block should look like. And also as being an instructional leader, you have to make sure that you've got your systems in place. And so I had a great mentor in my superintendent when I first started out as principal, and she helped us get our systems in place with that. And when I say that, that means figuring out what resources that we have to do, what our scheduling should look like, so everything can flow smoothly for our teachers. Because you want your teachers to have everything they need in the classroom, every support that they need. And that's part of being the the principal's job, I think. And also building those relationships 
that's in the building. We started out and we still do it. We have buddy visits every semester. And so I might ask you to go on a buddy visit. You might determine with one of your teachers that you need to go on a buddy visit. It might be a buddy visit to see how phonemic awareness is working in another classroom, what classroom management looks like, what small groups look like. It can be all different kinds of buddy visits. And I'll I'll tell you, um, we do so many and our teachers are so used to it. And it's not uncommon if a teacher has a music time or a planning time, she'll say, oh, I need to go into that other room. I just want to do one buddy visit. And it's been really helpful because I'll give you another example. I had an art teacher who came from a high school background. And so she was wonderful with our art programs and everything like that, but needed to know what classroom management looked like for kindergarten and first grade. So we sent her on some buddy visits because you can learn the best classroom management when you're watching a teacher do the reading block with small group instruction. And as a former high school English teacher who came to the elementary level, you're so right. You have to learn from the people who are doing the work. And so I am convinced of that. You and I were both involved in the early rollout of the Alabama Reading Initiative. I wasn't in the Sweet 16, but we were in the early years. Since then, the state has provided training and letters for both teachers and administrators. Can you tell us about how your teachers became involved in this training and how that what you and your teachers do on a daily basis. Our reading coaches for the system, they started going through the training in the fall of 2018. And we heard it was coming. We knew the literacy, what the Literacy Act was. And we knew that our teachers K-3 would need to be trained in the science of reading. So they rolled it out with the ARI has done a fantastic job of making sure that everybody is trained and trained well. So that started in the fall of 2018. And then we as a system got together and we knew how important it was for our teachers to have the opportunity to to do this. And, you know, Shelly, they're different learning styles. So I'm fortunate to work in a system that recognized that teachers have different learning styles. So we had different ways you could approach the training. If you wanted to approach the training as going and studying on your own, we allotted three professional development days to complete the entire unit. If you felt that you wanted to do it with a budget, you could also do it. But I tell you what the most effective way we learned after two years of doing this is we did it with small groups within our building. So what I did was we had a roving sub, two or three subs would come in our building and our reading coach had different cohorts where you were along the units. And so we would have small groups and they would discuss it. And that is where I think we really mastered and really dug into letters because letters is like a college course. It is difficult. And if you have your colleagues sitting side by side and you're talking about the student that you're analyzing and you're doing this, it cements you as a faculty. We had some great conversations, some great relationships, some buddy visits that actually rolled out of of doing that kind of training. And, you know, along the line, COVID hit. So we still maintained those small groups, even when we were shut down. And I'm going to say, your question was, can you tell us about how your teachers became involved in this training and what changed on a daily basis? We became more explicit in teaching phonemic awareness. We always had phonemic awareness in our whole group and our small group, but we became more intentional about the level of difficulty and what it should look like. We're using 
missing Hegarty, but we knew that we needed to, once the students mastered a certain section in it, to move on with that. We also became extremely aware of how to analyze miscues and what to look for. Their assessments, the past assessments in the back of the manual have really impacted our instruction. And it's impacted us because we can give the past assessment. We're very prescriptive about exactly where to hone in and and what to do with those miscues. I'm going to give you some more specific examples. Like we have different words when we had the letter E and we found out that the best words to introduce the sound of E is echo and ed and exit. Well, we were using the word elephant. Okay. We didn't realize that wasn't the optimal word to use. And a lot of times when I tell our teachers, it's not overhauling everything. It's fine tuning and polishing because little changes make a difference. And so our teachers had a phenomenal small group format on whole group. And we had those systems in place. Letters did two things. It affirmed what we were doing. It made us more prescriptive. It showed us what we needed to polish and fine tune. Well, those are some pretty amazing results from this training, not just that teachers learned how to do this better, but the collaboration and the changes to their instruction. So Um, Shelly, I also want to say our speech teachers have jumped in and have helped us so much with the tongue placement, mouth placement, you know, because we're learning so much. It's so key with this phonemic awareness, voiced and unvoiced sounds. And it was funny. I have two speech teachers and one of the speech teachers came to me and she said, our teachers are asking really hard questions. <laughs> I'm having to go back to my manual. And now, Shelly, we have just bought the mouth and tongue placement cards. And so we're putting those up behind our small group. And that's continuing into our resource classes, our special education classrooms, and also for our interventionists as well. So we asked our resource teachers when I did her a walkthrough with her, I said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you to implement Hegarty in your phonemic awareness. And she did. And Shelly, her resource students for the first time benchmarked in their sight words. And we think it's a direct result from that. So it's just been amazing. I could talk for a long time about this, but I know you have other things. I get very excited. So, you know, changing students' lives is is exciting. Yeah, so. that's worth getting excited <laughs> over. And, you know, my next question really was going to be about the kind of results that these changes have made. And so you've given us a little bit of that information, but are there others that you wanted to share? Well, with our Dibbles, our data looks incredible. We have 93% of our first grade students moving on to second grade benchmark. And not only benchmark, but benchmarked or exceeding what the Dibbles requirement is. And also from letters training, and we used to be focused on oral reading fluency, but the accuracy is so important. We have 88% of our students that are accurate going on into second grade. 94% of our students are benchmarked in kindergarten as well. That's the composite score that we have. And Shelly, last year, we've got to address the COVID question. I look back and I think, how did this happen during COVID? You know, when we had all these systems and extra things that we had to do when I was running around with the nurse and we 
were measuring tables and desks and everything. And our teachers just did a phenomenal job. They just would not say no to small group instruction. So we made sure during COVID that we had small group instruction within the guidelines the Department of Public Health wanted to have. We're really grateful because we have those tile squares on our floor and each one is a foot. So we actually had teachers who were turning that kidney table around six feet away, but still having that small group. And then they ask us speed up our progression to make sure that we had the essential standards. And so we did that and we sped up our progression and we actually started blending earlier in kindergarten. And that's something we're not going to go back to because we're going to keep that same pace because we figured out with our explicit instruction with our kindergarten students that we really could start blending after we introduced four letters. It's phenomenal to me that even during COVID, we gained. I mean, you know, we did. It was really affirming too, because our first grade, we knew that our rising first grade students, after they had been home from March on, that they might be behind. And my teachers were able to catch them up and even make more significant gains. So So when you were telling me about the percentage of kids at benchmark or above, I wanted to say, and that's during a global pandemic. Right, right. I think it's because we did not know every day we walked in this building, we considered it a blessing because you cannot teach kindergarten and first grade students to their potential. I think it's very much a challenge to do it virtually. I had two great virtual teachers, but I know even them would say, you know, the best is face to face. So every day my teachers brought their A game on and we were instructing. And it just so happened that this letters helped us figure out exactly what it was we had to have in place. And so next year, when hopefully we do not have a global pandemic going on, just imagine what they're going to be able to accomplish with the kind of skill and experience they've gained over the course of letters training and then implementing it in the middle of a a global pandemic. And you know, Shelly, and that's something that I can tell you what we're going to focus on next year. Some of our teachers are not completely finished with that second unit, but we've had conversations and this came from COVID because we were only going to have 10 minutes at that small group table. And so we made a decision, hey, we're not going to be able to teach comprehension at the small group table. We've got to just get that coding in. And then it was affirming in letters because letters, which it makes complete sense, you need to spend your comprehension time during your whole group block where you're bringing in that rich, that rich text. You're strictly teaching the code at the small group table. So a lot of those things, we figured it out because we had COVID restrictions and then letters was backing that up with us. Now, sometimes it's a storm, but it has a silver lining at the end of that cloud. Your school was recently awarded the first ever grand prize for the Louisa Moat Award for Excellence in Implementing the Science of Reading, beating out all of the other schools in the country who applied for this. How affirming was this for you and your staff, and how has it affected how you go forward? It's great. I mean, and that that is not the best word I can use for it. But when I say our teachers, our teachers have worked so hard. And we've always been a school in which people would come and visit us to learn our best practice instruction. That was wonderful and affirming for our teachers. But to win this award, when I look back and I do a survey, 
survey at the end of every year. It has just been such a boost for our teachers because they have put in the hours and the time and to be recognized like this on a national level and actually have Louisa Moat, who reviewed our video and then came and was a virtual award ceremony, but she talked about our school. I was just so proud. Teachers don't get recognized enough. And for what our teachers did in the pandemic, continued to have that small group instruction, continued to learn and best how to help our students read. It's just wonderful. Going forward, we're going to fine tune with our letters and we're going to really focus on vocabulary and comprehension whole group, I think. I think that's where we're going to move to. But, you know, Shelly, we always have new teachers coming into the building. And so we're always going to go back and revisit letters. And I was talking to my reading coach two days ago, Dr. Rutherford, and she said, it helped me so much as a reading coach. She had five cohorts. She has revisited those units over and over again. Our our letters manuals are dog-eared. We've written in them. We've put sticky notes in them. That's the way it should be. Well, and lots of times when you're going back and doing something again, you learn something different each time, kind of like reading the Bible. When you have an experience and you read a verse and you go, oh, now I get it. Even though you read it three times or 10 times before, it means something different when you've experienced something that relates to it. Yes, you're right. Just in case people don't know much about your school, what are the demographics of the students who attend here? Because I don't want people to think you got this award because you just had great scores and easy kids. No, this year we have 45% that are on free and reduced lunch in Coleman. We have an Hispanic population that we serve as well. We have students that come in with that are nonverbal. And so we have a very mixed demographics and we actually used one of our students, we made a video for the Louisa Motes Award, and we highlighted a little boy who had moved here uh, from another country two years ago, and he did not know his sounds and letters in first grade, and he was in first grade this year. He did not know his sounds and letters, and now he's benchmarked, and so we highlighted him in the video. So good instruction works for every type of student, any type of student that you have, and that's what I think letters has done for us. And I love it to see the carryover in our resource rooms too, and the conversations we're having with our resource teachers and with our speech teachers, because we're working with all of our students. That's the perfect segue to the next topic I wanted to talk to you about, which is nationally, there's this talk about subgroup performance and the achievement gaps, the opportunity gap around students of color and English language learners. Can you talk about how this work has affected these children? Right. There's a section in letters that talk about EL students. And we found out that, you know, in the Spanish language, there are fewer phonemes in Spanish than there is in English. And so that we've got to focus more on tongue and mouth placement for for those students. And that's what what we're doing with the cards, both in the small group setting in the classroom, as well as in, in the EL area where our EL teacher works. And so, like I said, good instruction that's explicit and diagnostic is going to help all of our students. We also learned, you know, the phonological patterns of the African American English and how to interpret those. We 
had done a really good job with our speech teacher, Shelly, because our speech teacher, let's say before a Dibbles assessment, she'll review with us what her students, if they can't pronounce their THs or their Ss, what their um, words would look like. And what we learned in letters has just given us more in-depth knowledge for that. That's a great collaboration that you've got going with your speech teachers. And that's something that perhaps some people have not really taken advantage of is that collaboration. So I applaud you for that. I know you've done the letters administrator and teacher training. Why did you as the school principal want to take the teacher version and how has that paid off? Well, I'm a teacher first. So I took the letters administrator training, and I think that was a great place for an administrator to start. But I think every principal should go through the letters training. If you require your teachers to get this training, why would you not want to be a part of it? I kept hearing teachers talk, and I kept thinking, well, I didn't know that. Well, how does that work? And so I just jumped in, and I said, I want to be in a cohort. And so I finished my first unit one. Pretty much. I have some of the face-to-face virtual meetings that I need to do, but I just wanted to make sure that I would know in a classroom what it was that I needed to see. And the administrators section, they gave really good suggestions for setting up systems, data meetings, and schedules and what to look for, but they couldn't give as much of a comprehensive look at what the science of reading, what it really looked like. And so that's what I, I needed to have. Well, and I just know as a principal myself, it was imperative for me to sit in the same trainings that my teachers did, learn the same content, because when I went into classrooms, especially because I didn't have that background from my personal teaching, if I had not sat in those trainings with them, I couldn't give them good feedback. And so that was that was just essential for me. Right. And feedback from the administrator is important. It's crucial, I think, to drive change in your school. Sometimes you have to have conversations, good and difficult, in order to have change in schools. And and that's what being an instructional leader is. It really is. So how else has this training helped you as a school administrator? Well, one example we had this spring is the Retention Alabama Literacy Act. Students are going to be retained in third grade. Well, here at the primary school, we all know it's better to retain in kindergarten or first grade. The older they get, the more they understand that they're being retained and the gap widens. And so we had a family who they had sat out um, and done virtual until about January. We needed for this student to be retained in kindergarten. And the mother and the grandmother came in and they they were adamant that they did not want that child. Well, we pulled out our letters manual and we showed a writing sample of this student. And we showed this parent where they were in Aries phases of development pre-alphabetic. And we said, if you just give us another year, this child did not have a learning issue. It was a lack of exposure. So by having that backup of here you go, this is what we've learned. We need to have it. They were more than willing to be on board with us. So that training helped me there. One thing, when you talk about giving teachers feedback, we have our preschool classrooms and our preschool teachers have all taken the early letters. And so there was a teacher in there and she was teaching the S sound and the student gave us an example of zebra 
instead of the S. Well, that's voiced and unvoiced. That that goes right back. That's how you can give that feedback. So we talked the next day, the teacher and I talked, okay, that is just teaching them how to turn their voice on. We knew what miscue that was. And it's so specific examples. Like I talked about before, it's more of a fine tuning or polishing than it is overhauling everything. Well, that is exactly right, because so many of our teachers have been doing great and wonderful things. And so a lot of them have said this was the best professional learning they've ever done. So, Oh, it is for me. I know that you're very passionate about mentoring and staff development. What are some things that you can share about why these things are important, especially when you're trying to improve student achievement? Well, the only way to bring systematic change, in my opinion, is to foster a culture of learners. And as the building principle, it's important to, just like we said, know what that looks like. What are the nuts and bolts of of reading? And mentoring new teachers and aspiring principals is just a passion of mine because somebody did that with me. I had a superintendent who put me in this position and said, you know, I know you weren't an assistant principal and I'm going to help you and we're going to meet every Friday and bring your notes and bring your questions. And so I really thought I would talk to other new principals and they said, we just, I didn't have that. I was just giving the keys to the building. And so I really took that on and I've, I've had two semester long administrative interns that's paid for through ALSDE. And that was wonderful. They taught me a lot of things, but I think that's an obligation when you reach a certain point point in your career. It is an obligation to foster people that are coming behind you. And it's not learned. A lot of these systems are not learned in leadership. Nobody in my leadership program taught me how to make a schedule or how to do a teacher evaluation. And so teacher evaluations, if you want something to happen in your building, the principal is really the only person that can ask for that to be done. You've got your reading coach there to coach, but the principal is the one that's going to have to have the hard conversations. So we have a coaching cycle. I just did an interview for a, um, I have a teaching position open at the primary school and I just did an interview and I said, let me tell you what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do to support you so that you can be the best teacher you can be is you're going to follow through the coaching cycle. The first two weeks, the reading coach is going to essentially model those lessons. And we have an, I do, we do you approach with adults and with students. So the reading coach does it, then you all plan together, then you do it. And then I come in and I give prescriptions feedback, and then the coach goes in. Well, new principals need to see that in action in order to understand it. You can't read those two paragraphs in a book and think that you're going to charge out and do it. I've been really fortunate because I've been in the same building for 15 years. So I'm able to to foster that. And that's the way I think you're going to have systemic change is to mentor teachers, to mentor uh, new aspiring administrators. And I just hope to be a part of it. Well, and I was also a principal who had no assistant principal. Really, the way that you have to run a school is build leaders out of teachers so that you can distribute that leadership. And part of that is mentoring and developing people. So I can totally relate to it. Tricia, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate what you are doing and have done for students and teachers and families and the community of Coleman. 
I know that they appreciate you as well. Well, thank you so much for having me, Shelly. And thank you for this podcast that you're putting out. Since you invited me to be on the podcast, I cannot tell you how many people have come to me and said, oh, I'll listen to it every week. So I really appreciate what you're doing for the state because it takes a lot of people to get this initiative rolling and to make sure that we're doing absolutely the best we can for our students in the state of Alabama. That's right, because they deserve the best. They, they sure do. Absolutely. Join us again next week for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast.